are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. Light. Kate's got her dark Kate's here. got her shorts on with her spray tan. Heck She's yeah. ready to go today. Where are you going? Spray foam. <laughs> what, what kind of money do you think I got around here? Spray oh, tan. <laughs> That's expensive stuff. Spray. spray. It's just foam tan. Foam tan. Are you going to Florida again? Oh no! I just can't. She's prepping. I just can't be see through. A little foam tan. Look, I mean, this is with foam tan. Let me see. Sorry. Let's compare. Is that without foam tan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're killing it. (laughs) (laughs) You look like you just stepped off the beach. In fact, when I went to Haiti, they are very dark complected there. Okay. And so um, they were laughing at me because one night I went to sleep and my netting, the fan had blew my netting open. Oh, so no. I woke up and I had uh, like 150 mosquito. They weren't mosquitoes. <gasps> they were some weird creature I'd never seen before. And they were and they were like, you are like a strobe light in the night. Oh, <laughs> you're wasted. I mean, it was hilarious. Strobe light a in the strobe night. Light in <laughs> That's funny. I feel like we haven't done this for a while. Oh, great. So oh, you weren't here. Like I wasn't you weren't here. here. Yeah, we had Larry and Josh. You're like, I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been on a podcast for a week. You have shorts on. I don't know who you <laughs> who are. are you? What did you tan. do with my co-host? <laughs> All right, let's do this. Mm. You, you think you can? You think I we think, can do this? I think I can. Okay. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. Oh, it's Lisa. Uh, I'm just going to pick another bed name. It's Casper. <laughs> and we're here with the lovely, beautiful Lisa Laban. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks. Wait, did you say Lisa or Lisa? Lisa. Okay, sorry. What do you think I said? Lisa. I did. Your Lisa and Lisa sound the same. How do you spell it? <laughs> In the bed, L-E-E-Z-A. We have a Lisa. My husband loves his Lisa. <laughs> Lisa was born and raised in sunny California in San... San Bernardino. Where's that near? It's in between LA and San Diego, like equal oh, distance wow. and inward. So we're like 45 minutes to the beach, 45 minutes oh, to the I mountains. I was born in near Los Angeles, California as well. She attended elementary and middle school at St. Adelaide's <laughs> Catholic School, where there was never a shortage of ruler-hitting nuns. Oh, it's not just like the movies. It was real life. It was real life. Oh, yeah. my. After that, because of the nuns, she joined the military and moved to Maryland, where she met her husband, Ed. <laughs> that pause sounded like you were really gearing up. Eduardo. <laughs> Lisa and Ed have been married for 27 years. They have three awesome children who are currently all adults. What's the name for that? We don't have three. You don't have three children anymore. You have three. We need a term for that. We do need a term. Because they feel like children still sometimes. (laughs) 
Zach just graduated from high school and her and Ed have been thrusted into the next phase of life parenting adults, but not yet empty nesters. They have three dogs of varying sizes who keep a tight ship on treat control, five ducks who created mud puddles throughout the yard, six chickens who they've adorably caught cuddling with a wing draped over the other. She also has a barn cat. Who fails at his job. His name is Gus. She's currently an American Sign Language interpreter for the deaf and a consultant and webinar co-host for an organization committed to equal access and opportunity for people with disabilities. She's recently finished her master's degree in human service counseling with a focus in crisis response and trauma, being the first person in her family to have a higher education, her oldest daughter right behind her. Lisa is a lover of the outdoors and paddleboarding has stolen her heart. Lake life is the next adventure for her. She enjoys bike riding and hiking, worshiping and worship flags, blowing her shofar, being artsy with God and camping. She loves to camp solo with just God and enjoys the rest and insight he gives her freely when she can get away with him. She's been attending the upper room around three years and it's so thankful for the truth and love that abounds here. You can find Lisa in the middle section during worship doing sign language sometimes. Yes. So welcome, Lisa. We're so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. When did you first get interested in sign language? Actually, my mom told me that I was interested when I was just a child, and I tried to teach myself, so I would uh, get books out of the library and try to learn. I didn't know any deaf people. Did you see it on Sesame Street? Probably, is because mm. I did love Sesame Street. What's not to love? Then I took it up a couple of times, and honestly, my brain just was not ready to absorb it. And so just like six years ago, um, another church I was attending had a deaf ministry, and so that has spiraled me into where I am today. There was one day, I actually was at a mall, and um, we were doing stories for the deaf, signing them. I just said to the Lord, "Um, Lord, if this is something you want me to do, you're going to have to download this language, because I was struggling with remembering signs and where they go. It's very important. He did. It was like my brain opened, and the language just came in, and then people started going, wow, you are a natural. (laughs) And so here I am. That's amazing. Do you practice in different places or do people put on like events? Yeah, there are. Actually, at the Robinson Mall, every year they have a big, it's called Sinathon. It's usually in March. They have deaf presenters come from all over the place. They have a stage set up and people do dancing. They interpret stories. There's exercise. And so they ask people from the audience. I'm always part of the exercise because I just love it. It's just adorable to do. Um, there's an organization called Partners, and they work with people who are deaf and they have mental disabilities. We call it ID. They live in these group homes. And anyway, they go to different exercise programs and whatnot. And so they bring them up on stage, and they are literally the most adorable people ever. So I love to get up there, and we just exercise our little hearts out, and it's very fun. But that particular time, we were here in the Boardman Mall. I was taking a class in Boardman. We set it up in a place where the deaf could come, and they could get something to eat. And so we picked out some children's books, and then as teams interpreted them. It was super fun. And actually, somebody there at the mall went and told security that there was a cult in the thing. And so security came over to talk to us, and we were like, ah, they're deaf. (laughs) It was the fun. Yeah, they wanted to get us kicked out. It was hilarious. Never a dull moment. Nope. Oh, my goodness. 
are husband. people for the most part pretty accepting generally in the public? It depends. I have an experience at church where like the pastors won't even, wouldn't make eye contact with our deaf because hearing people are uncomfortable with a language they don't understand or know how to communicate with and maybe not across the board. But when we're in our uncomfortable zone, we do a couple of things. We either engage it or we don't and we run from it. Mm. And so there are a lot of people who are like, that's so beautiful and so cool you can do that. And then there's others who are like, nope. I don't want to have anything to do with that and walk the other way. And that's just very sad. It yes. just breaks my heart because deaf people can be amazing. Just like hearing people, they're awesome. I love them. They're so much fun to work with. So tell us, Lisa, who or what turned your light on? Well, the quintessential answer is Jesus. Um, I went to Catholic school when I was young. We went to church. So I always knew about Jesus. And there was a long time where I was upset about the Catholic church and the things that they taught me works-based, you know, related. However, had I not had that background, it would have been a different ride into uh, my relationship now. I think my grandmother is one person who really taught me it's okay to seek out the Lord. She took us from, she was in the Methodist church and switched over to be, being Catholic. So the rest of us followed, but she never stopped seeking the Lord in other ways. So she listened to preachers. She was always reading. She was always looking. And so her ability to seek out the Lord in more than just, you know, going to church on Sunday has always stuck with me. And then my daughter, my oldest daughter, she was like seven or eight. She was going to... Awana, and she started reading the Bible, and God gifted her in so many ways to understand. She was reading the King James Version, and she <laughs> understood it, and it spoke to her, and she would put Bible verses up in her room, and she wanted to accept Jesus as her Savior, so she wanted to wait till she went to Awana one day, and she wanted to do it there. And if you can imagine, and this is just a warning for all of us Christians, is they told her, well, you just wait until after games are over, and then we'll let you do that. And that was, I know it's shocking that we would tell somebody to wait. Um, so that was not acceptable to her. So she went in the little stairwell herself and she did it by herself, which is very sad, but really cool at the same time. So God used her to really challenge me as a mom, challenge me in my walk with the Lord. Where were you at at that time? Like, obviously you were taking your kids to the Awana program. Was it something personal to you at that point? Were you going through the motions? I was kind of going through the motions. We had just moved here to Pennsylvania. We lived in uh, South Carolina before that, moved here. God had called me back up. I lived in Maryland. When I lived in Maryland, I drove by this church, and I had a word from the Lord just drop in my heart, you need to get back in there. And I was like, oh. So I started a walk with him, and it was going through the motions, what I knew to do go to the Catholic Church. So I started there. And when we moved here, my neighbor up the road went to this very small, sweet, adorable, wonderful church. And it was Episcopalian Evangelical. We started to go there. And so it was transforming in that he was like, oh, all of this Catholic stuff. Uh -huh. <laughs> Here's what it really means. So God started to transform. And then I was like, I got to get us into everything we can. So we went to Juana. We were also doing a homeschool group in Pittsburgh, if you can imagine. The internet was kind of e, And so I couldn't find homeschool groups around us. So we had to drive an hour and 20 minutes to go. But those ladies were devout walkers with Christ. Between them and my daughter, my faith exponentially grew 
in like a short time period of five years, I think I grew maturity wise in Christ 50 years. I don't, it was unbelievable, really. And then people along the way always kind of like my fire. So like my friend Susie, growing up, I had a hard relationship with my mom and it was not the best situation to be growing up in. And I held maybe resentment, bitterness, there were things like that. And um, my friend Susie had a difficult situation that she walked through and she chose to step out and love her parents regardless. She was just going to do what God told her to do. And it took me a little while. Like I admired that about her, but was like, well, I could never do that. And then God just started pressing on my heart about doing that. So I actually went on a retreat with God, took my Bible. I rented a cabin up in Cook's Forest and I was staying the weekend. I wrote down a list of everything that I felt how my mom had hurt me. I read the entire Bible out loud to the Lord and I individually forgave every one of those things. So God transformed my heart and my ability to be that light in my family and just love her regardless. So things now don't hurt me like they used to because I have given forgiveness to the end. You must be a speed reader. I'm not sure how I accomplished that. I'm just saying God's timing is amazing. <laughs> I hiked and I went to a little shop and I went to this little fire tower. I mean, I did things too. I didn't just stay in the cabin. The scariest thing is going to the bathroom in the middle of the night in a place you don't know where you know there's bears. The bathroom is out away. So I trusted the Lord. <laughs> how did that transform your life when you decided to forgive your mom? Well, I think forgiving her was step one in forgiving myself for things and just restoring a relationship on my end, regardless of what her end looks like. I'm still committed. Were you a mother at that time? I was at all three. So I think that part of that is I didn't understand things that my mom did. Having my own kids and knowing the love that I had for them, I didn't understand things that she did. But I don't have to understand them. I just need to understand that she's broken and God loves her. And so I wanted to be able to walk out what he's called me to do in forgiveness. Did you grow up with a mom with mental illness? Yes. Yep, definitely mental illness. There's a lot of emotional wounds, traumatic things. Her first husband, who is my dad, was very abusive emotionally, psychologically, physically. She has several stories. He took her by gunpoint places. She had a lot of things. Her dad was not a nurturing, loving dad, so she didn't get that need met from her father. So there were a lot of things. She just is broken and God can heal all things, but we have to know to take it to the Lord to allow him to work. And the Catholic church does not teach that. So that is a thing I think that I can give to her, which I have. And funny enough, she has forgiven my dad for the things that he did, which is really interesting. But I ran away when I was 16 and there is no leverage of forgiveness there on that. That wound pops back up. And our relationships are different with her ex-husband and me. They're different relationships. And so I'm just waiting for the Lord to redeem that because I know he can. I know that he will. Did you ever come back? I did come back. I left at 16. I lived with my grandma for a little bit, which had to be quiet. And then I moved in with my best friend from when I was like five and her mom. So that meant I changed schools and it was a whole different life. And then a little while later, I moved in with another friend and her family. What's awesome about that is, you know, I'd come from this brokenness, this broken family, but I was received in love in these other families who taught me healthy boundaries, healthy ways to love your children, 
trust and different things like that. It really is a blessing. It was a hard time for all of us in the family, but at the same time, it really was a blessing for my life personally. Because you got to see what healthy families look like, and that yeah. was modeled to you. Right. Where maybe if you hadn't done that, you might not have ever seen it. You might have right. repeated the cycle. Oftentimes, people just live what they know. Right. And if they never get a different picture of this is what a healthy family looks like, then you just go with what you know. True. And from the time I was six, seven, I remember my teacher asking when I was in first grade, Mrs. Van Curen, she asked each of us what we wanted to be when we grew up. And every kid was like, oh, I want to be like my dad. He said this. Or my mom. She said that. Da, da, da. And they got to me and I was like, I don't want to be like my mom. Then I couldn't think of what I wanted to be. But I was overwhelmed by how much these kids love their parents and wanted to be like them. And I just knew I didn't want to. So God put this little thing inside of me as a little pipsqueak kid to, I think, seek out and search for the next thing. And I have actually done that my whole life. I mm. constantly want change. I'm reading books on how can I transform this area? What else can I give to the Lord? And how can I do that? I think there is something to seeing something done differently and then saying, well, that's a healthy version of it. I really appreciate that that is something that's stuck with you over time. We can always be changing and bettering and becoming more like Jesus. I just appreciate that because that's time consuming. And sometimes it's really difficult to continue to look inward when it's really easy to just run through the day to day. And yeah, it's because of Jesus. It's not me. <laughs> it's literally Jesus. <laughs> Lisa, what lights you up? Well, currently, serving has always been a highlight mission work. So I know God has called me into mission slash ministry. Finding my niche has been something. And so I think after completing my master's, like during it, I started studying satanic ritual abuse survivors and people who have gone through these things, how they're healing and how God has taken them through and just... There are all these statistics about different things, but they went out and I want to be somebody who walks alongside them as they come out. It's big. It can be scary, but it's it's where I feel like God is calling me. So that's kind of just serving Jesus. I want to show Jesus's love to people who can't trust anybody. <laughs> I want to be somebody they can trust. People who have been hurt emotionally, physically, traumatized in so many ways. I would just want to be somebody who is there. With Jesus, <laughs> you know, not just me, but I'm going to definitely need Jesus in greater lengths. So you s have served in sign language. Yep. You've served in missions. Yep. Where are all the places you've been? I've done some U.S. ones, San Francisco, West Virginia, South Carolina, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Haiti, India. I think that's it. I just love it. Um, uh -huh. Puerto Rico was my very first one, and we had a little team, and we were there with YouthWorks. There was our group and a group from California, actually San Francisco. So the next year we went to San Francisco to revisit oh, so good. them. So we intermingled our groups, and I was the leader of a team, and we had really, I think, the poshest job ever. We went to a girl's home. They were all girls in hard situations. Mm. And I'm just thinking about this, right? God is just so lining up things for me. But we went there and had just a blast with those girls. They were just precious and beautiful. And then we had beach cleanup in the afternoons in this very beautiful beach that had a reef. <laughs> so we cleaned up for some time and then we went snorkeling. In state, out of state, that's really neat. Oh, yeah, I've done Pennsylvania, too. 
They have something called Carpenter's Project they do every year in July. And they gather a group of all sorts of people and they go to the elderly in the community and they serve them by painting or building things or fixing, repairing. They do a lot of really cool stuff. So your passion for serving, you've been doing that in many ways. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you're letting your light shine right now in this season of your life. Well, I I try to encourage people. I'm walking with some friends who are going through some really hard times. Mm. And I'm applying for working with a ministry called Rahab Ministry, and they work with women who are sex trafficked. And it is definitely a great match for me. And what I love about them is they have this high integrity of training the volunteers. It's not just like, come on in and we'll just throw you in. They're training you about trauma theory and a lot of different things. So I hope to get my light shining up in that area. Where's that at? It's in Akron, Canton, but they do have some strip club walking here in Youngstown. So I hope to be able, that was like step one of what started it. They started walking, going and visiting the strip clubs. They bring the girls dinner. The, for lack of a better term, the pimps are all about them coming in and feeding their girls and giving them hygiene products and stuff because it means they don't have to buy it. Actually, really cool story about them. Can you see that it lights me up? Really cool story about them is there is a hotel that I knew nothing about until just this last week in Canton. And apparently, according to Google, it's closed, but it's a working facility. And a lot of the girls that they have have been trafficked out of there. That owner of the hotel invited Rahab Ministry to come and do like an outside picnic where they served food. And there were, I think, seven women baptized out there in front of that hotel. I know, like you think about redemption It's just overwhelming. And so it's really cool what God is doing there. So I can't wait to be involved in that. There's a lot of things. Stopping in the store and praying with somebody. I love treasure hunts. I don't know if you guys have done them, Holy Spirit treasure hunts. So just doing that with people and telling them that they are a treasure because we are so negative in this culture. So being able to tell somebody, literally, you are on my list because God wanted me to say to you today, you're a treasure. And how can I pray? Just really cool. I've been on the receiving end of your encouragement (laughs) with text messages, and it has meant a lot to me. Words are, especially if your love language is words of affirmation, Mm -hmm. like they mean a lot to people. And I appreciate so much that you are so positive. I really think that the body of Christ should be, in so many ways, the anti-culture to that, you know, where the negativity, the it's so cynical, Mm. and oftentimes... I feel like as we kind of move along, it becomes more and more dark, just attitudes in general. And I think sometimes it's so even jarring to people to meet someone randomly, like at a store, who is optimistic and positive and happy and in a good mood (laughs) and has nice things to say. I think that there is so much that emanates and speaks just out of that when they are expecting none of that. I've seen some people do double takes when you're smiling. And especially coming out of 2020, I think 2020 did a destructive work to our emotional, our psychological, spiritual, our little hearts. I mean, yeah. we are broken coming out of that. And actually, that's something that I'm, I'm doing a couple of things that is not out yet. But one is I want to do a study 
I took on this project called the Elijah Project, and then I'm adding some things. But specifically for women, walking through this emotional turmoil that we have, and I don't know about you girls, but I had started this one thing in this Elijah Project, and it's this (coughs) picture of this, it's like a stick figure, only chubby, you know, it's like more bubbly. (laughs) It's the best way I can describe it. But one of Realistic the- <laughs> stick figuring. It was the Lisa LeBon picture. <laughs> stick. And but she encouraged you to write down your emotions inside it or color it to whatever you're feeling on the inside. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't evaluate my emotions that often to be able to really distinguish things. And so what was really cool is my first time going through it. I am a word person, so I did write down words. And later I went back with colors. But I wrote down all of these things. Like I had disappointment and failure and fear and anger. But I also had this joy and this hope and this peace. And it was kind of like I could feel them in different areas of my body. And I was like, Lord, what are you doing with this? And he said, all of this in the middle, the middle of me was really all the tension, disappointment, anger and stuff. He said, I'm preparing that for war. So like he was using all of these things that I had inside of me. They weren't going to go to waste because they were real. And it's when I was going through learning about all this satanic ritual abuse, which is just more than you can grasp. So I had a lot of roller coasters like Kenny Wood rides, you know, that's what I was on emotionally. And so I had all of this in there and God's like, but I'm preparing that for war. I'm making good for that. And I was like blown away. So I want other women to feel that. And so I am putting together a a women's study to walk through that. Where are we emotionally? Just a whole self-care, self-analysis will go through, understanding how to know if somebody's a safe person or not, how to evaluate the people in our lives, and just how to evaluate ourselves a little bit more, understanding who we are, and stop allowing, because I have done this, allowing other people to tell us who we are. Christ identifies us. So we need to walk out in that. And I think that's where having that joy and peace, we should be. Every Christian should be walking in that joy and peace because we are free, praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so much of it, we are weighed down by something or circumstances, but we can walk out that joy and hope and peace for others. So... I'm also doing a study, not a study, but a teaching on the satanic ritual abuse stuff for churches. Like how do we as the church bring them in? and walk with them and what does it take and then yeah i'm writing a book but we're just putting that on that oh, we're just liz, hiding that liz so like, osborne like, did you hear that <laughs> he's writing a book what's your book well so for a long time god had me doing like ministry on facebook so i would post them on facebook and even though people didn't always like it or comment they would come to me later and say, you know what, that word was perfect for me. So one of the things I'm doing is bringing some of those off. And then it's called By Grace, just talking about by grace, like what he has done in and through me in my life. There'll probably be five people that buy it, praise oh the Lord. <laughs> I'll just give it out for free. Raise you your know? expectations. <laughs> Listen, I'm thinking if five. Hey, <laughs> it's not your responsibility how many people buy it. That's your true. responsibility is if God tells you to write a book, to write a book. And that's it. You mm-hmm. just have to obey. And yeah. the rest of it's not your responsibility. That's very <laughs> true. Thank you for speaking that. So I got to bring it from right behind me to right back beside me again. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> it's been two years in the making because I'm consuming to write a book. Well, I'm pulling all these things off Facebook. So they really are 
are pretty much kind of set. I have to go through and edit and do some things. I love that so much because there is so much resource in people and in the church. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we make that small and unimportant because we want to be small or unimportant. And it's scary to think about being bigger or sharing or doing stuff like writing a book. But how important is that? I want to see more people saying, you know what I really want to do? You know what I've really learned? I feel like I could put to use. That's my hope. Okay. So thank you for being an example in that. Well, I'm not there yet. Well, so we're don't just set it on the podcast. <laughs> so we're Liz Osborne's going to be contacting you. An example towards that. <laughs> you need an editor. Oh, All right. No. Well, we'll talk. You have continued to say this over and over again when people come in that nothing is lost. You know, God doesn't leave the pain and leave the hurt or what you were saying, you know, the inside of us, that turmoil or that tension. God doesn't waste your wilderness. Right. And all of that is used. Your life is such a beautiful testament to that of all of the things that are now being used and beautiful and blooming. What has inspired you to be so optimistic and want to touch those really hard places <laughs> in society that most people want to stick their fingers in their ears and go, no, 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 that's not happening. That, uh, that actually was me probably a couple years ago. I'd have been like, nope, <laughs> no to the nope. <laughs> Sorry. Because actually my friend called me one day and said, hey, do you remember a couple years ago I heard that podcast and there were these two women and they go into strip clubs and I told you, hey, we could do that? And I was like, no. She said, yeah. And your response was like, oh, heck to the no. That's a special person that God has to call into that. <laughs> she said, do you know what you're applying to do now? I was like, oh my gosh, here I am full circle. So literally, it's Jesus, right? He had to transform my heart to take me into a desire to love people. And I think part of that has come out of just his love for me and teaching me different things about his own character and his love for me, where he's transformed my view of family, where instead of it just being these blood relatives, Oh, I want to open the door and be like, come on in. Jesus loves you, therefore you're family. You mm -hmm. are. You're adopted in, and this is somewhere. Because I was adopted in mm -hmm. by other families who loved me and still love me. So that is a really big, important thing. And California is very different than here. So here I have found... You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're still lacking beaches, friends, I must say. <laughs> And culturally, it's very different. But Pennsylvania, where we started, everybody was very close-knit with their own families. So I felt very isolated and alone and just sad because people didn't have time for friends because they have family. That just kind of devastated my heart. So I walked out a long season of Jesus was it. He's my family. He's my friend. This is what I have. Now, my husband has family in the area, but again, they are situational for we see them on, you know, holidays and whatnot. So the walking out the daily things. I think God has just given me, he's walked with me through a season and he's given me now this heart to bring people in to be family. And that is one of the things that they talk about at Rahab is that they walk through these girls, they have safe houses, they walk them through getting them jobs, and, and then they need to set them back out into the world and they need people to love and support them. So my prayer is that Youngstown will be the next place. I'm already here and easy to walk into, easy to walk into something like that and adopt them in. I think sometimes we forget that we forget the importance of inviting people into our lives that may 
feel isolated or alone. I mean, it's easy for me because I have family here that we're close and we spend a lot of time and do life together. And I think sometimes people, I'm not a poster on social media, but I have family members who are and they're they're like, oh, your family, they're so great. They're so, you know, and I can take that for granted because if I'm not paying attention, a lot of people don't have that. And it's a beautiful thing. And I wouldn't give it up for anything. But to be able to invite people into that. And like you said, you had friends that took you in and adopted you and loved you that we should be doing that as families, like mm-hmm. looking for those people, our kids, friends or neighbors or whoever, and looking to say, who can we invite in to be a part of this? And I mean, don't we see that just over and over again in scripture, who are the people that are most important to God's heart? I mean, we're all important to God's heart, mm-hmm. but specifically pointed out, it's the fatherless, it's the widowers, it's the orphan, it's the homeless, it's the people without people. Mm-hmm that move his heart so deeply. It's not just them, though. I would say even there can be fathers in a home, but the kids are still fatherless. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. sometimes we look at that exterior and think, oh, they're good. Like I'm a strong person, and I didn't actually realize this till last year. I learned um, that my I can do it myself. I'll just do it. It's just easy. I'm independent. These are words I use. I'm independent. You know, I'm free, whatever. I don't even (laughs) remember what all the words. Independent was the big one, though. And I could do it myself. Well, that is actually a response to trauma that you train yourself for. I had no idea. So there was this little girl in me who said, please rescue me. I need help. I don't want to do this by myself. But there was the exterior. And I think that exterior of I can do it myself told everybody around me, oh, she's fine. She doesn't need. It was such a lie because I did. I desperately want relationship. I desperately want family and community. And it can be very hard to accomplish that. So not assuming really that we know exactly what's going on in people or in homes. Would you be willing to share a supernatural experience, something that's happened to you? All right. Well, one of my favorites is I was living in Pennsylvania. And like I said, you know, I've been a doer of it myself, right? I was always a self-driven person. So um, I didn't know that I had wounds and things hidden deep, but God does. And so Stephen Curtis Chapman had come out with that song, I Will Dance with Cinderella. I know the song. Like people want to play it at weddings. For the father-daughter dance. Yes. And so there's all these stages, you know, he talks Mm -hmm. about for whatever reason, that song, because of God, it's like touching my heart and Mm. just wrecking me really from the inside out. And so I was listening to it with the kids in the car, but they had a short attention span for that. So I just would replay it and then they were like, er, turned off. <laughs> so I was driving from my house to Cranberry one night and it was nighttime, it was dark. I don't know what I was doing, but I had listened to that song over and over and over and over and over again. And I came up to the stoplight. So I literally had the time of a stoplight. I started to bawl my eyes out. And I was like, oh my gosh. And all of these feelings started coming up inside of me. And I was like, well, why didn't I have a dad growing up? My mom was a single mom. Why did he abandon me? Why didn't he love me? There were all these things. Then I was angry and I was ticked off and I had all of these emotions and these feelings coming up I never even knew existed because my whole thing was, it doesn't matter who my dad is, right? They don't make me who I am. 
I am who I am because at that point, you know, God was the thing, but God was an important person in my life, not just a thing. But before I had been self-identifying, like, you know, and I don't need that identity from mom. Right. I don't need them as an identifier. I'm not going to be like them. So it doesn't matter. And God just wrecked my heart of all of these things I missed out on. And then, mind you, it is a red light and I'm going to be turning left. Before that light turned green, this wave fell over me. It was just a fresh washing of the Lord. And it literally, I could feel it go out my toes and every one of those feelings washed out of my car with that. And God replaced it with this love. It was like he's giving me the supernatural hug. He healed and restored every part of that was broken on the inside. And then he said, I gave you Joe. So Joe was, he was the father when I moved to the second house after in high school. He was the dad there. I was like, oh, and he was so good. He's always like, from the minute he met me, oh, daughter, you know, that was just his thing. So I was like, well, thank you so much, Lord, for giving me Joe. And I never shared that with anybody because actually it's a weird thing. So by the time the light turned green, all my tears were dried up. I went along my way and I was fine. So two months later... At that time, I was working a job where I flew around the country. We were picking up kids in the middle of the night who were making bad choices for their life, and we would take them to rehabilitative centers. And this one job was in California. So I excitedly called my family and said, hey, hey, I'm coming to California. This is the area I'll be in. I'm flying in at this time. And they're like, great, we'll meet at Jackie's for dinner. So they came and picked me up and I went to Jackie's house and I got there and it was just all the girls, dad and Jackie's husband, Kate's husband, they were all gone. And we're in the kitchen and they had some music on. The boys came home and dad walked in the kitchen and he goes, daughter, And he came right up to me and he started to dance with me to the song that was on on the radio, which, I mean, I just started to bawl my eyes out because he had no idea that God had told me, I've given you Joe. And then Joe followed up with that song, I Will Dance with Cinderella. And here he is. He calls me into dance with just him, you know, in the kitchen. And like, I just was wrecked. I was like, God, what you did was enough. But he says, I do exceedingly more. Was that the kind of supernatural experience you <laughs> were talking <amazing>. about? <laughs> He's a good father. He is a really, really good father. And mm. he knows our brokenness to the depths of us, even when we don't know. And when we are strong-willed and we're going to do it our own way, and we're like, nope. And God says, oh, but wait, I have more. So maybe I should start my book off with that story. What do you think? That's the you best. Should. <laughs> you should. Yes, by grace. Oh, wow, Lisa, so many good things unpacked in this little tiny podcast, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but a lifetime of God walking next to you and by you and with you. And it's just such a beautiful picture. So if you're out there listening, and you can identify with some of the pain and the hurt that Lisa has walked through with a broken home, fatherless, being raised by a broken mother, experiencing a childhood of trauma. If you can look at her now, and she's this beautiful beaming ray of sunshine that is serving people wholeheartedly, and not just any people, but the broken, the outcast, the unwanted. I just want you to look at her and say, there is hope for me. And I don't have to stay in this place of pain and suffering because of my childhood or my upbringing, because Jesus wants to do for you what he's done for Lisa. Mm -hmm. And that's such a beautiful picture. And I think sometimes we just need to see hope in other people when we are looking internally at our experiences or the things that we missed out on, or we feel like we have a deficit because of the way we were raised or who raised us or what we were missing. 
We don't have to stay stuck in that place and we don't have to repeat the cycle and we can have a different story for our family and our kids and really change your family tree. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, I love that, you know, you and Ed have been able to do that for your family of your three adults, but also that you are doing it for many, many, many other people in the world. Thanks. And you're shining beautifully and brightly. So, well, we will be selling Lisa's book soon. (laughs) I Grace by Lisa LeBon. You can pre-order now. We need to get more than five people to pre-order. So we're going to speak life over this book. We are looking forward to your book being released and taking pre-orders. Talk to Liz Osborne about that. (laughs) Oh, Lord. The can of worms I open when I open my mouth, right? I love it. I was going to say, you've come to a table of doers. It's time to poop or get off the pot. That's what I told my son the other day. You just need to do that or get off, though. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.